This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, August 17th, 2015. I'm Caleb Brown. Hillary Clinton's outline of a plan to make college more affordable would cajole states into spending more and extend the length of time many graduates remain in debt. The cost to taxpayers, about $350 billion over 10 years. Neil McCluskey, director of the Cato Institute Center for Educational Freedom, says the plan effectively subsidizes those with the highest earning potential. Joining a chorus of major presidential candidates who want to make college more free uh, to students, uh, Secretary Clinton put out a proposal that would spend about $350 billion over 10 years, not to really make college free, but to make it more free. And sort of the nucleus of this is the goal would be to have attendance at a public college or university uh, be inexpensive enough that nobody would need to take out loans. This doesn't mean you don't have tuition still to pay. There would still be some tuition to pay, and it would still uh, be different depending on how wealthy you were. But the goal would be that the federal government uh, itself, and then also incentivizing states to match federal funds, would kick in enough money to public colleges and universities that nobody would ever have to go into debt to pay for it. Uh, There's more to the plan than that. There's also uh, kind of an expansion of loan uh, forgiveness and income-based repayment. So now anybody who would have a federal loan, as opposed to different types of federal loans, would be able to pay back based on what their earnings are. And after 20 years, if you had anything remaining, you would have it forgiven. Uh, And then you get into the real vague parts of the plan, which of course are the painful parts. So how would you pay for it? All we know is that the intention is to make uh, quote unquote wealthy people pay for it by closing loopholes, which is sort of just what you say now. Uh, If you want to put out a plan, it's well, we'll close tax loopholes and make those bad people pay the money that they owe us. Uh, And then there is supposed to be a part of the plan uh, where if you take this money, this, these, these federal funds with matching state funds, colleges and universities would have to become more efficient and couldn't spend this money on stuff that isn't directly related to education. There's no detail about what exactly that constitutes that non-academic stuff or how any of this discipline would actually be meted out. So no more rock climbing walls? Well, uh, Secretary Clinton mentioned rec centers uh, specifically, which is, I think, probably just what you say if you want to capture that we're talking about recreational facilities, which includes your rock walls, which includes the profusion of water parks that we're seeing now, and all sorts of other superfluous things. But interestingly, you can probably make a good argument for rec centers generally, if you include in that the gym as being something that's educationally beneficial because, you know, if all your students are out of shape, if they can't get exercise, they then they get sleepier. Uh, they're unable to carry on a, a full day of activity because they're less energetic. And so you could make the argument that actually you need those rec centers. It's harder to make the argument for the water park other than people, I guess, need thrills and log flumes in order to do well. But rec center is one of those things that actually is kind of vague whether or not it's beneficial. What is... Uh Clinton proposing in terms of trying to get states to uh, pony up money as well? Well, again, this is one of these things where you really need a lot of detail and there's not a lot of detail here because I think that probably some of the motivation for this is to get some political 
bang and say, look, I'm going to give you what may amount to much closer to free education. And uh, Senator Sanders, Bernie Sanders, uh, Martin O'Malley, uh, other candidates for the Democratic uh, presidential nod have put out their own plans for less expensive college. And I think the Clinton, administ- or Clinton uh, campaign was thinking, well, we need to do the same thing. Uh, and so there's a whole lot of detail missing uh, on all sorts of parts of this because I think that this is more about political you know, catching up than putting out a substantive plan. So we don't actually know how much the federal government would offer and what the states would need to offer in response. So does the federal government say, for every dollar we offer, you have to raise your spending a dollar. For every dollar we offer, you have to raise yours 50 cents. And right now, sounds kind of like, well, you have to at least promise not to cut spending and maybe over a certain number of years will require that you increase it. But all anybody needs to worry about right now is don't worry, you'll never have to go in debt for at least public college again. So what's wrong with college being free? What's wrong with not going into debt to go to college? Yeah, well, this is where, you know, it becomes difficult to oppose this sort of thing because everyone thinks, of course, education is good, debt is bad. So if you get more education with less debt, that's a great thing. The problem is, you know, just like food is good, but if you ate 10,000 Twinkies every day, yeah, that's food, but you're also going to die um, because you have to know what the quality of the education is, just like you need to know the quality of the food. And you can actually have too much of what's called education to the point where you're spending every dollar on that. Maybe you're not spending it on uh, starting a business or spending it on your family or all the other things that compete for our finite resources. So what we've seen in higher education for decades now is because you have third parties, other people, largely taxpayers, Paying for someone's education, those students demand all sorts of stuff that isn't really educationally beneficial. And the water parks sort of typify all this. Uh, But they are not nearly the only thing that is wasteful spending. And you see lots of people pursuing degrees that are not at all in demand in the economy. So you've got about a third of people now with bachelor's degrees who are in jobs that don't require that credential at all. And then you have another part of this where lots of jobs that require a credential for applicants, there's very little evidence that those jobs require anything that you could only learn in college or often that you do learn in college. And then we have a lot of push for people to go and get a master's degree, higher level degrees, because a bachelor's degree no longer sends just really a basic signal that you are, you know, probably literate, you probably work fairly hard, and you stick to what you're trying to accomplish. You know, very basic skills or, or attributes that an individual has. that They're not learning in college, but the college degree shows they have it. So, in other words, we have this huge amount of evidence that there's massive overconsumption of college as it is, even with people facing you know, prices that more accurately reflect the cost of providing all the things they want, where they do at least have to take on loans to pay for this. Now we're going to bury all that and have taxpayers pay much more of it up front. That'll lead to even more overconsumption of of higher education uh, because people say, look, it, it doesn't cost me hardly anything. Why shouldn't I become, uh, you know, the next psychology major for which there's very little demand and I'll spend 
you know, seven years in college instead of six years because what's my incentive to finish quickly and then I will be on the hook and try and – or I won't be on the hook to pay back loans and I'll have less impetus to try to find a job, which means maybe I'll go to grad school for a little longer than I would have in the past to eventually get a credential that at least separates me from all these other people who now have bachelor's degrees. The federal government already has a plan that at the end of 10 years for certain kinds of loans, those loans just go away. The loan balances just go away after 10 years if you worked for a nonprofit or for the government over that time period. This is a 20-year plan that she's proposing here. And it seems like despite the claim that uh, this is for more people to go to college debt-free, that it's actually encouraging uh, at least some students to stay in debt for 20 years. Yeah. The first thing we have to understand the nucleus of this plan is the federal money to get state matching funds where most of this money, the payment comes up front. So it really is to reduce debt. A smaller part is this income-based repayment. And absolutely, we've for now for several years had uh, this 10-year plan where if you work in nonprofit, especially the goal seems to be if you work for government, your loans are forgiven after 10 years. Um, what, what they're talking about expanding now is anybody, regardless of where you work or regardless of what kind of loan you have. So everybody now gets loans directly from the federal government. But not too long ago, you could get a government guaranteed loan that came from a private uh, lender, ostensibly private. Now, everybody can get the same benefits, or at least this is a proposal, as you would get under direct loans. And the interesting thing about this is who it really benefits this 20-year time frame with a 10% of your income basically is the max you'd have to pay, actually your discretionary income, is people who take on the most debt. And those are usually people who go to professional schools, uh, who become lawyers or become doctors, uh, who are then earning, generally speaking, more than almost any other profession. They're the ones who 20 years later might still have debt that they should be paying off, that'll be forgiven. Lower income people uh, who don't take out as much debt or don't go to professional schools in particular, that's really important. The ones who go to grad school and particularly professional schools, those who then aren't earning as much, they'll probably still have to pay their full balance. So this is the sort of thing that ends up being very skewed actually to upper income people. And of course, a lot of people will say, well, loans don't make college any more affordable. That's true and not true. I mean, if you can't access the loan, it is make it more affordable if somebody gives you the money because now you can pay to go. But it's also true that at least the idea is you pay back a loan when you're done with education. And in that respect, this doesn't make it more affordable. It just enables wealthier people or people who took out more loans so they could get a better job that paid them more so that they don't have to pay back what's left of that loan in 20 years, when probably it's not that onerous to pay that remainder back anyway. And oh, by the way, the federal government has budgeted for all this money to be repaid. So if it's not repaid, that means someone else has to cover all those federal expenses that that repaid money was supposed to go to. Neil McCluskey is the director of the Cato Institute Center for Educational Freedom. Read more of his work at Cato.org.